Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, spine number five, 1985's The Last Dragon, with the best shoulder pads, booby headlights, and kung fu that you're going to ever find in your entire life. Martin. Yes. When I say who's the master, you say show enough. A martial arts champion in search of the glow. Master, I need more time. I am no longer your master. A rock and roll star on the rise. I know what it's like to lose precious things. A madman. Shogun of Harlem. A maniac. You're going to put my video on your show, aren't you? The answer is no. And the glamour, the power, and the sound of Motown. I don't want you to kill anybody. Are you out of your mind? Leroy Green, I'm looking for the little pop thinks he's a kung fu master. I am no master. You sure look like a master to me. This is Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. It's about the power. Of the glow. Timok. Vanity. Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon. Directed by Michael Schultz. A Motown Productions picture from TriStar. Secret Handshake. I'm Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Cody Bouchard. What the? Wow. And Martin Carlson. How are you doing today, Martin? I'm doing well. Excited to talk about uh, our film today, Last Dragon. I know it's going to get rowdy, but first, I had a question for you. I'm excited to hear what it is. You know Paul Walker? Yeah. Dude's dead. Dude, dude died. Dude died. <laughs> but you got to tell the story because we were watching uh, The Last Dragon the other night together and we kind of realized halfway through that like the majority of the people who were involved with it are now dead. But you presented death in a way <laughs> that the way that you were notified of Paul Walker's death was sort of hilarious. So it's yeah, uh, it's interesting that this story comes up because first episode I talked about Phantasma showing it to my good friend Steve and that the film that was our secret handshake film a movie about death about death and Steve's one of my favorite people on the planet and he's he's a one of the nicest people be like the funniest person I've probably met in my entire life and has this way of communicating that just kills me so it was I was not aware that Paul Walker had died uh, that day and I was living with my best friend Danica at the time and 
my bu- phone buzzes on on my uh, on my on my uh, table. I lift it up, and Steve goes, "Martin, you know Paul Walker?" I respond, "Yeah." He responds, "Dude died," <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> And so, but like my whole group of friends, like at least to like like flower emojis. No, just said dude died. So literally, like for the last that was no sad face or anything. Two thousand fifteen, around then I think that's when that happened. Sounds correct. And um, but I remember like for the last five years, my friends and I will still like when someone dies, usually an actor, especially Danica. I go, we'll text that to each other. It's like, do you hear about you know so and so? Dude died. Dude, when I die, I really hope that like that's my eulogy for you. Yeah, you and your friends. (laughs) I'm gonna send that to the newspaper. Jacob Knight, year you were born, year you were unborn, dude died. What else you had to know? Year you were unborn. That's right. (laughs) So, (laughs) so this year God snatched you back. The year God was like, you know what? Remember that part where you came out of your mom's vagina? (laughs) The year of the rapture. Putting you back. (laughs) You're going back. (laughs) Have you ever watched American Gods? No. There's a lady in that that will put you back into her vagina. Really? Yep. I just think only God forgives, too. Oh, that's true. Oh, this got dark. Yeah. Let's talk about a fun movie, though. Yeah. Yeah, Let's let's go back to the uplifting. 1985's The Last Dragon, a kind of... um, Music video of a film. Yeah, a a feature-length music video that's half blaxploitation. Really, it's like a third. It's like a third blaxploitation, a third billboard for Motown Records artists, and then a third um, kung fu movie. Yeah. Cody, this was your pick. Um, go on. Well, um, as we were watching it the other night, I mean, I was just reminded of the the glee that it brings to me as soon as it started going from that the opening credits, the 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 song drops that sunlight Sunday, and he's doing the whole training sequence with his master, and he's beating up the bags and doing different things, and he's shooting arrows at him, he's breaking them, then he gets to the one, and it's the blue one, and he doesn't break that, he catches it. And just like the the theme that's playing, the way that it's brought in, the tone that it immediately sets, I was instantaneously just smiling ear to ear, and I that did not cease throughout the the, the entirety of the film. I I love this film. I enjoy this film. When it, did you uh, first see it? I have no idea. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Was it's it actually like kind of cool? If it's so I, so part of you, right? Yeah. I don't know if I saw it on TV or if it got rented for me or by me when I was younger. I, I do not know. I just know that I have known about this film for quite a long time. Yeah, because we watched it together for right. my my you, first viewing was last you year. You had it sitting on your shelf and well, you had I have seen a it. lot of I, I movies you, that sit on my shelf that I've You I have receive not a lot yet. of movies and and that's amazing. And that, that's a wonderful feat that I'm sure a lot of people wish they could achieve. Um, but yeah, we were hanging out at your place a few years ago and we were really just kind of starting to get to know each other, uh, as one-on-one friends versus group friends. Group friends. Yeah. Group sex friends. That's right. And, uh, the lights were always off, guess who's in my mouth? I don't know. And, um, uh, I'm, I'm looking through your shelves and I'm like, oh, Last Dragon, uh, this is a great one. We should, we should put this one. Like, when's the last time you saw this? And you're like, oh, I've never seen that one. I was like, yeah. well, then we absolutely have to watch it. I think I had literally bought that blu-ray off of amazon for like 7.99 or it was one of those things where like i knew 
of the movie by reputation because I mean this is a big cult film especially with like black audiences like yeah. it's it's kind of been a cultural touchstone and we'll kind of hit on that as we go along with the movie but like yeah it was just one of those that like I saw in there and I was like oh this will finally be like my motivation to see the last dragon I'll spend money on it there you go. and but it did it, it sat on my shelf for probably like a year or two until you came in and you're like yo let's watch this and I was like well good a time as any and it's like that movie's awesome like it's I amazing. really like it It is a a one of a kind. Yeah, there's there. That's the best way to put it. Like, there's nothing quite like it. I can't can't think think, of anything that I I I have some movies that I feel like it shares DNA with, but as like a total, let's say, amalgam or package. Like, so in as much as a dog shares DNA with a wolf, kind of thing. Well, almost like a mutt. You know, like like you look at it like a mutt, and you're like, well, I see the German Shepherd, I see the Golden Retriever, but it all comes together to be one animal. I would like, love to have a German Shepherd Golden Retriever dog. That's true. I just pulled those out of my ass, and now like that would it's be a, a real funny thing. looking I've seen dog. Pictures, but I would, anyway. Okay, um, Martin, this was your first time. My first seeing time it, seeing correct? it. Yeah. What'd you're you think? welcome. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, I was. It wasn't. It didn't live up exactly to what I expected. Um, I think I've been told about it for many, many years. Mm, this is of, two weeks in a row where we have one dissenter. Yeah. Um, I I didn't like not enjoy it. Um, I think my answer would be very similar to what Cody said about Cutter's Way. Um, it didn't land with me exactly how I thought it would. I had been told, again, for years, like, this is this, is this movie. It's absolutely insane. And I love, like, 80s films that are kind of a mishmash, like... But I kind of had a similar experience watching it that I did to Howard the Duck. Um, and Go on. Where, Whoa. yeah, I... What a weird... I gotta hear more dude, about no. this. But Howard Duck is another film that was kind of like, oh, it's so crazy. Um, it's weird. It's, it's pretty bad. But like you'll have a really good time. And I, I honestly was kind of bored at some segments because... I needed a little bit more of a through line. It was so like, cause some scenes I was like, I'm in like, but it felt very episodic. It barely has a plot. It barely Wait, are has... we talking about Howard the Duck or well, the last both. dragon? But, but, yeah. but I think we'll talk about well, last dragon. Tr- actually. Yeah. Both do. Ba- both, barely but like, you know, last dragon very much felt like music interlude. Then like you lose Bruce Leroy for like 10, 20 minutes at a time sometimes in the plot. True. You know, and it goes off these other characters. But I love, but I will say the thing that I did love about it was the look and the cohesive feel to the film. Right. Um, like It's we did, got such a great tone. It's got a great tone and, and it has that, like we talked about, like you have that mix of like black exploitation and kind of like the grit of like a real New York street with sure. like these kind of like you were saying these crazy over the top like interior sets like the set for like um I'm sorry what's Vanity's character's name Eddie Arcadian No, no that's Vanity the the female lead Uh that is cuz she plays the love interest she's Laura Charles Laura Charles so Laura Charles like her like Eddie Arcadian's place but her her club her club okay. you know felt and she, is she, her character's really weird because she's kind of like a pop star but who owns she has like her own uh yeah that's a better way to put it up like a pop um pers- personality like, like a vj if you yeah. kind of thing yeah if you get on her show then that's like the peak and that's how yeah. you get the the exposure well and that's how the whole 
uh, that's kind of what the whole plot revolves around. It literally is like a plot that revolves around getting on MTV or like yeah, the two, New that's York. That's two thirds of the plot. And I feel like yeah. that's two thirds of like the lesser plot that intersects with the main plot. Yeah. Well, cause yeah, you have two, you have, you t- basically have two narratives that collide. Right. Right, right. Even as we sit here and we say the movie has no plot, it kind of does, is that you have uh, Leroy Green, Ty Mac. Bruce Leroy. Bruce Bruce Leroy, who has been, you know, training to become the quote unquote, quote, last dragon. He's. No, no, no. Uh, That term is never used. No, film. yes, it is. Yeah, it's what he's going for. It's the he says, "Here's the last dragon." When he's showing but him the circle. his master tells him that you reached that, you've completed. The you circle. reached the glow. No, no, no. That that's when you just become the master. Right, and but that's where the feud comes in. Is that he has the feud with the Shogun of Harlem, who's shown up. Yeah, who's played by Julius Carey, who's the best part of the fucking movie. Who and almost played him though. Um, that was Denzel. Denzel. What? Yeah. And Lawrence Fishburne, right? And Lawrence Fishburne and as, as Wesley. Phenomenal as both those actors. Well, and are. Wesley Snipes was almost cast as Bruce Leroy. Right. At a the only point. way that Wesley Snipes could have fit in is that he is a legit martial artist who has years of actual training. Yeah. But uh, as as wonderful and amazing and as storied a career as Denzel and Lawrence Fishburne have, I don't feel they could have possibly held a candle to. The show. I think he's the best part. Like that's the whenever he was on screen, I was happy. Show enough. Yeah, show enough. He's he 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 single handedly gave birth to Buster Rhymes. Like yeah, just like his whole style and yeah. Which I mean, uh, Buster Rhymes even plays him in the video for Dangerous. Oh, I didn't know that. He adopts his entire look and stuff for that that video. Um, that I believe is directed by Hype Williams. Oh, awesome. So, like, to kind of give you an idea of how far this movie is kind of echoed through, especially, like, black pulp, uh, pop culture. Um, but back to the plot, like, so you have Bruce Leroy, uh, Tymac, who was a uh, kickboxing champion in real life. Um, he is essentially training. He's, it's almost like the black exploitation, like karate kid intro to where he has a master. He's trying to essentially achieve the next le- or the final level of right. like Kung Fu enlightenment to, to become the master, to become the master, uh, the Shogun of Harlem in one of the best scenes, of the movie basically confronts him in a downtown, um, Movie theater. That's a, that's a cool scene. It's yeah, like a grindhouse. It, it's a. It was a real uh, working grindhouse at the time. I believe it was called the Variety or the Varsity. It's one of the two um, that was showing movies even at that point. Um, but so they intersect, and then at the same time in the background, there's uh, Laura Charles, who's like a late night local New York City VJ, as we've kind of gone over, and then there's uh, a uh, mobster Eddie Arcadian played by a guy named Christopher Murney who's essentially playing like the like if you imagine George Costanza yeah. but George Costanza as like Swan from Phantom of the Paradise you're <laughs> kind of in the same uh like arena or at least the ballpark let's say but he's a gangster he's trying because he's uh Dating a, a, a very obvious Cindy uh, Lauper yeah. knockoff, uh, who's played by Faith Prince. She's pretty great too. Yeah, but she's she amazing. Well, I, she, I, she has one of like the, the hardest emotional scenes in the film. Yeah, she she's great. 
Uh, but she's uh, Angela Vaccaro, I believe is her character's name. But anyway, he's basically trying to get his Cindy Lauper knockoff girlfriend onto uh, Laura Charles' show. Um, so I guess his solution is to kidnap Laura Charles. It's unclear. Yeah. Um, and then he hopes that by doing that, he'll force... It's uh, it's a kidnapping because because he already sent his guy who was it Greg, Greg Kinnear a blonde Greg Kinnear in the uh, no that's it's Mike Starr it's the guy no, from no, like Dumb that, and Dumber no the guy from Shameless oh not Greg Kinnear it's uh, William H Macy yeah thank who you. shows up Sorry. in like the gaudiest jumpsuit ever with, with the uh, with the blonde hair and he's going there and he's like come on please you got to put this yeah. girl on otherwise my boss is gonna kill me you got to do it she's like I don't have time for this she goes out to her and show. you never see him again yeah you never see yeah. him again he because he got again. fed to piranhas oh that's Close right him oh that's right because Mike Starr who's like one of uh, Eddie Arcadian's uh, heavies Rocky had yeah plays a guy named Rocky <laughs> he's a boxer who has like <laughs> unseen flesh-eating fish yep. that and live in a, a tank a in their apartment tank. and they're insane like Caligulan like kind of downtown Bond villain loft. thing they're going yeah. for obviously too I thought the like the, the the video jukeboxes almost had like a Batman Forever-esque where they're like trying to rip off Tim Burton and use his aesthetics in like a gaudy kind of way like, yeah all the set design them. in this is so over the top it's like in, like, in in the set designs, which you mentioned, where they like put the the time into it when it's an interior large set yeah. versus just like the the on street sets. Yeah, and you mentioned too, Jacob, that um, the connection to Streets of Fire and how we kind of said it is this like it's modern life, but it has this twist to it, right? It's like it exists in its own sort of fantasy take on life. Yeah, so it's like okay, this is like 1985 New York, but it has that feel of like. There, there, some people make fun of him for being dressed up like Bruce Lee. Right. But a lot of times he's walking around like this is fine. You know what I mean? It's not like a realistic look at how the real world reacts to him. Well, which is interesting because I was reading this this oral history that was on Uproxx uh, from like 2016. And they interview uh, the writer of the film, a guy named Louis Venosta. And this is where I found some of the more interesting kind of tidbits and some of the things that when we were watching, we kind of picked up on and we're hitting on is that at the time he was a Broadway dancer in fame. So, and he hadn't written a movie yet. And when he and his girlfriend at the time essentially went to a, uh, grindhouse showing of a Bruce Lee movie and he saw how nutty, like the entire mostly black audience went for uh, this Bruce Lee film. And he started thinking about how New York City is essentially this huge like cultural melting pot and how like culture kind of cross-pollinated in a weird way, but where like black guys would fall in love with Bruce Lee and want to take Kung Fu, like Kung Fu lessons. Which is the thing that actually happened. Yeah. Well, and that's, that, that's what he's kind of getting at is that like this movie as fantastical as we're kind of going into it is that it, it's trying in a weird way to at least be like a funhouse mirror to real life. Because at the same time, he would talk about how you would go into Chinatown and you would see Chinese dudes break dancing. So it was like culture in New York City. Like we were kind of joking while we were watching it was where we're like, oh man, if you showed this to a modern audience, like how many like 
cultural overblown, appropriation. yeah, think pieces about like cultural appropriation would you have and stuff. But but damn. it goes both ways, so I feel like it would balance out. Well, and that's that's kind of what I'm getting at is that's where his like original vision was was that he looked at it and was like, man, like in New York City, especially in like the 80s and stuff, like this was just a place where like every different culture just kind of peppered each other, you know? Mm. And, um, he, it's kind of why he like, it includes the Chinese characters in this movie at that place called, uh, some dumb boy. Yeah. Who, and they're like, every time we see them, they're rapping yep. and stuff. Is that they're he rapping, was, they're rolling dice. And it looks like at one point they're about to break dance. Like they've got yeah. cardboard on the ground. Well, and that was his whole idea is that it was like how like different cultures basically picked up from each other. So that grindhouse scene in the beginning of the movie is kind of almost like the, uh, the, the, the way that we decode the entire film mm. is that you just see all of these people come together in the middle of Times Square to watch this Bruce Lee film and how it basically brought everyone together and how the, the movie theater itself became almost like a great unifier. So he originally wrote the movie, The Last Dragon, to be a Broadway show. Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah. And his girlfriend at the time was the one who looked at him and was like, no, dummy, you should make this into a fucking screenplay. And then the and screenplay. And based the Cindy Lauper character off of her. Well, that apparently came later because these were all basically early like thoughts that were just or like seeds that were kind of germinating at the time. So he wrote the script apparently in something like six weeks, like really fast and was shopping it around with an agent. And then it got into the hands of uh, Barry Gordy's like right hand like assistant. And then he offered him $15. No, they actually flew him out. Like he met with all of them um, and then like Barry Gordy essentially said, I want to produce this movie, but that's where all of the, like he took the musical elements that were originally basically being inserted to be a Broadway musical and was like, well, this is how, because for people who don't know, Barry Gordy is like the mastermind behind Motown records. He was like a huge songwriter for like the Jackson five and just this massive, like he was a, like black icon of yeah. like songwriting and producing. And like he wanted, he saw The Last Dragon as being like Motown Records way to get into the film business. So, you know, he brings this guy out, they develop the script together. And that's when it becomes this kind of half Kung Fu movie and half, uh, like big billboard for like what Motown records was attempting to do with pop music during mm. the eighties. And it became one of the strangest goddamn things I've ever seen in my life. So that's what the, the mishmash comes from is just these different elements. It's in, I, it's interesting because I think one thing that does come across though, is this like kind of, so we see more in modern films where it's like a very obvious meta love for like the subject matter like, you know, sure. like it, that wasn't as popular back then as now. It's like, I feel like films are so much more about referencing the things you love. Obviously, Tarantino kind of championed that for a long time. But now we're right. seeing it with more filmmakers. I think Edgar Wright being one of them. And we have that. Like, I think that scene in the theater is one of my favorites because you have that element of like just the people loving all loving Bruce Lee together. And also that's the place where like Bruce Leroy is most accepted. Like when like uh, the Shogun of Harlan kind of starts giving him shit. 
everyone's like, oh, that's Bruce Leroy, and they're all like kind of behind him. Like that's the place where he's kind of at home with like with everyone there. Like he's eating yeah. his popcorn with chopsticks. And it wasn't oh my even, god, yeah, yeah. It wasn't even that he was a champion of the people. It was just that he was one of the people. Well, yeah, they, exactly. They he's accepted. That, like Show Enough comes in and is giving everybody trouble and takes over a row and is. Uh, Playing the boombox and like no 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 he wasn't playing the boombox that was going on beforehand oh yeah you're right that was two people starting to break dance they brought the thing and then the one guy gets up in in tune to the scene going on on screen and like looks back and comes over and does the jump smash into the boombox and breaks it <clears throat> but uh, Bruce Leroy is uh, sitting down just kind of being uh, one of the people not yeah he's in the front row as Martin just uh, kind of added. Yeah, but I think that's what's great about him. What's, what what juxtaposes him to show enough is that even though he is this high level achiever of the martial arts, which seems to, to to hold a lot of weight in this community, he doesn't try to be better than anyone else or try to try to ha- even have like a grand voice. He's just like I'm, I'm one of you guys. I'm sitting here, I'm eating popcorn with chopsticks, enjoying Bruce Lee also. And then show enough comes in, and then he's challenging people, and then they start standing up to him. And it's when he's picking up the little kid and shaking him by his collars. Uh, that the, the kid's saying, like, you're not the baddest, it's Bruce Leroy is. And then Sean was like, ha, Bruce Leroy. And then, like, tosses the kid aside and then goes and gets in his Who face. catches and, bullets with his teeth. Catches bullets with his teeth. And that was what was, I think that's where I kind of, maybe that's part of the problem I had with the film, was, like, that scene promised that movie forever. Um, was I thought more of it being this just like straightforward kung fu film mm. of he's the champion of the people showing up yeah. to the main bad guy we're setting him up and then they go off but it's like whenever that stuff was happening I was cool and when any anytime the music stuff interluded I just shut off so I, I think I, what makes a lot of sense that Jacob brought up that actually really connected for me just a moment ago that I didn't know is that this was initially meant to be a Broadway musical. Yeah. So being that there's these intersecting storylines that, that all culminate in, in the third act, that being set up in a musical play stance, that, that seems to make a lot more sense. Well, and even like, but then you also have the, the, the threads of like black exploitation kind of working their way in because in this oral history, uh, the screenwriter even notes that uh, he was really good friends with Mario Van Peebles at the time, mm-hmm. who also was a dancer because I mean, he was in stuff like uh, the cotton club, like for fans, Francis Ford Coppola yeah. is like a backup dancer. Of course his dad, just like the and definition dad, of black exploitation. Exactly. His dad in some people's minds, created it. I don't think that's correct. People like, say that, like people say that because they, they uh, credit Melvin Van Peebles and sweet, sweet back as like the first quote unquote black exploitation movie. I mean, technically in my mind, it's Aussie Davis and cotton comes to Harlem. Um, but that's for a whole other podcast, but, um, you know, you can see the way that he is trying to work like his own experience and like, uh, his own kind of, cause he is a multiracial man. Um, and who also hails from New York and like, you can see that it's reflected kind of in the movie. And I think that's what gives it a sort of authenticity that has made it connect with audiences like throughout the years, you know, and become, because when it was originally released, it made $25 million, which I mean is respectable, especially for 1985. What was the production budget? Not, not high. Like the the majority of the the uh, money was spent on like the set design and also like apparently Barry Gordy brought in 
these like top music video like producers and stuff and like these huge like Betamax cameras to shoot all of the scenes uh, especially like the musical numbers that involved like Vanity and the other artists that are performing in the clubs and stuff uh, because like again he saw it as like this moving billboard for like the the label that he had pioneered Um, but like it, it made 25 mil and there were supposed to be two sequels uh, to the movie, which I want to get into later because then there's some some unfortunate, tragic backstory that kind of goes along with this. But here's where I'm going to push back against Martin and the whole like all of the non-kung fu and non-show enough stuff. I mean, I don't know where you've been seated, brother, or where you grew up, but Vanity was a, let's say, formative force in my boyhood life. So every scene that she's in and the whole weird kind of love story that 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 goes on uh, with, uh, you know, Bruce, Bruce Leroy and, and the VJ, like for me, mm, that's a big thing. So until this film, I had not seen Vanity in anything. Get out. I know, but I will... Not even in Purple Rain? She's not in Purple Rain. Rain. That's Apollonia, son. I know. I brought that to your I know. I fucked that up while we were watching it. I was like, yeah, she was in Purple Rain. You're like, no, she wasn't. I'm pretty sure they had to change the name of the van from the Vanity Six to the Apollonia Six. Yeah, you're you're 100% 100 correct. But if you remember correctly, we're watching the film on a couple days ago, and I just said, holy shit, she's gorgeous. Like, I did comment on that. Like, she is... Stunningly beautiful. Well, Wait, it's kind of hard to first, miss. Your first exposure to Vanity was never it? seen anything. I'd, he- I'd heard of her maybe through Prince, and but then, I just, then I informed you of the existence of Tanya's Island. Yeah, and then I you sent me that text, and I read up on it. And it sounds uh, you're right. It's real. The <laughs> movie where she has an erotic relationship with Bigfoot, and let me tell you, there's a lot of nakedness in that movie. I can't believe that that made it past the page. Yeah. It don't. It not only made it past the page. It was directed by a director who made another movie that I really like. Actually, probably a movie that you really like, uh, Alfred P. Soul, uh, who made uh, Alice Sweet Alice with Brooke Shields. I love that movie. Yeah, it's one of my favorite, like early, like proto slashers. Yeah, he well he proto vanity that ass. Wow. So Alfred Alice is amazing. Yeah. Well, it helps that uh, Soul was he worked in pornography, so kind of there checks you go. out. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying he says. Washed that ass. Yeah, he. Well, I think Sasquatch Sasquashed that ass in that yes. movie. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, I, I'm actually surprised. But like, I'm being honest when I say like Vanity for me was like one of those early like crushes. Like, uh, I cranked it to Vanity a few times. Like, I'm I'm not even I'm not gonna be you know ashamed of of where I went. I mean, Martin, you were telling stories about like just crushing it to like playboy playmates and stuff. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And time cop. That was my movie. You crushed it to time cop. Absolutely. Damn. Um, but I was, so I was talking to Cody. Cody, What did you crush it to? (laughs) Uh, just off the top of my head. Um, uh, where's the, Denise Richards, uh, wild Wild things. things. There we go. We both knew where that was. Everybody crushed it to wild things. But what was was that? There was a Nev Campbell body double in that. though. Yeah. 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 Oh, the champagne on the titties. Yeah. 
Mm. What, what I'll think about though, really sucks. Kind of the kind of the question I guess of this whole podcast too is like when you see this film. I want to pause one second <laughs> and note that Cody didn't get off on champagne on the boobs. He went Philly. Socks. I didn't say I did Thank not. You, I was you know just, what? I, just, I was adding to the scene decoration and all of our minds. Cody, so, you make me sick. I gotta ask though, like while you were cranking it, did you put frilly socks in your mouth or anything, or like just on my feet? Oh. Okay, you know what? We're going to have to talk later. <laughs> but my question, though, too, is like... Continue. With, with some of these films, like, I've had some experiences showing films, I think, like this that I grew up with that have a very weird vibe to friends, and it just falls flat for them. And That's fair. And so, if you don't remember seeing it for the first time, you have the stuff that connected this to you. This was made a year after I was born, so it has been around. Right. So, for me... For but me, I think what Martin's getting at is that, like, when you watch... And forgive me for speaking yeah. for you, but, like... When you watch a movie early, you don't have those memories to basically fall back on, essentially. It's going to be the same for the the movie that I used for my double feature later, which I will, I will okay. name later in the podcast. Like the, 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 the film later on, like I don't remember the first time that I watched it. I just know that it's, it's just always it's been kind of part of your DNA. It's been a part of my DNA, exactly. And, and you said something too, like when the film started, you were immediately smiling, right? Because you have like sense memory shit going you're, on. Yeah, it's like Bruce yeah, yeah. in a way. As soon as that, that the, the, the music kicks in, the song that's playing, and then that as the, the it's cutting in from scenes of him training to just scenes of black and, and uh, white text credits yep. and doing, uh, I don't remember if it's doing the, uh, the the water drop effect in the opening or if that's just later on, but. No, because, I mean, for me, an example would be Master of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren. Is, oh, yeah. I, I don't remember seeing it for the first time. Now, I know it's objectively a bad movie. Yes. But I it's one of my favorite movies because what Cody's saying, too, when that film starts and when the music starts and the canon logo comes up, every element like brings me back to a certain time in my life, you know, and I, and I, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And so that's what I'm saying is like, I don't, I'm not picking up maybe on some of the stuff Cody is watching last dragon for many, many times. My first time at 36, it's just not clicking with me in that same way. Okay. I don't have that sense of memory to go along with it. Um, but you, but you watched it last year for the first time. So no, not even last. It was like a couple or a few years ago. Well, and to be fair, like I cringe at nostalgia a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but one of the I, reasons I, I, might, I might note to the listeners that you were in fact rolling your eyes as Mark was recounting his one actually for, fell out of my skull. Of the and I knew you were, but I was I was setting it up. You know? Yeah, but I mean, you've warned me time and time again. You know how much I hate Masters of you of the Universe, and yeah. I know how much you love it. So well, this I mean, is... you're like 55 years old, so it makes sense. <sighs> Go fuck yourself. Um, but any anyway. Um, I, to agree with what you guys are essentially saying though, is that one of the reasons I do like the last dragon a lot, um, is because it reminds me in part of my favorite movie of all time, or at least one of the movies that vies for the title of my favorite movie of all time, Phantom of the Paradise, yeah, which itself is a different kind of form of nostalgia, let's say, because to me, this movie kind of. You know, I make the the joke that, you know, Eddie Arcadian is essentially George Costanza as Swan, the, the record producer, the Faustian record producer from Phantom of the Paradise. But really, like, the the plot is very similar very much. at times. And also, I like how the movie stops dead to have uh, very strange kind of musical interludes the way that Phantom of the Paradise does. I love um, the whole uh, way that... Uh, pop culture kind of trickles in like they use so much footage from uh, all these different Bruce Lee movies, which I I do want to ask you guys, like 
that's gotta be the biggest expense of the movie outside of the musical productions because like well, I imagine I was, musical production expense is pretty low because Barry Gordy's produced. Well, no, I'm not so talking he, about he the, the music themselves. I'm just talking about the staging of it and like the shooting and like how they essentially brought in like the million okay. dollars worth of like equipment to film it, gotcha. like the production value itself. But like they had to pay golden harvest or MGM yep. or whoever was owning the rights to all these different Bruce Lee movies because I think you see at least long. one clip and one like long sections. Well, not even that. They only do or sorry, not only that they the they do later on a, a recreation. Yeah, exactly. And then like there's the whole scene where, you know, the the there's the whole uh, love story uh between Bruce Lee Roy and and Vanity where uh she even like makes basically like a visual mixtape yeah of she Bruce does it Lee movies day. and she, she is, does she it. is an expert film editor in yeah. 1984 which I'm guessing is when this was filmed yeah she 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 can uh, edit and and mix and splice they're not going for realism together. here though that's like that <laughs> right you know I'm just saying she's a talented lady Martin are she you, is, are you, do you think she's not a talented I think she's lady? very talented I'm just thinking the film this has no interest in the realism but Barry Gordy had to pay, my ultimate point is Barry Gordy had to point, yeah. like pay somebody off to use that footage. Like somebody got paid like sure. a motherfucker. Absolutely. I was surprised when I saw it. I think I turned to you and I said, I said, is this, you did. My first question was like, is this the same production company? As, as soon like, as it got past like five seconds, you I was were like, like Wait a second. Second. and it's like, and I love like, the thing is like, the funny thing is I love Bruce Lee films. Like I love Enter the dragon. I've saw it with my dad when I was like eight for the first time as a film. that's like very close to my heart. So like that was like, Holy shit. This is like a long sequence from this movie. Like a long, important sequence in the yeah. plot one well, is put in here and this is actually a nice uh, bit of timing for watching this movie is because i've been making my way through that criterion yeah. bruce lee box set that just came out and like i'm recognizing like whole scenes from the movie and being like wow it's crazy that they got the rights to do this because to cody's point like the music like the guy who produced this owns all the fucking rights to right. those songs that's, easy so that's nothing but those films uh, perhaps like it, it, and this movie exists on streaming and stuff. Like you can find it. So obviously they cleared the rights and stuff to to get this all above board. I don't think it would happen today. I don't think you would be able to show that long of sequences from a film. Sure, you can reference little things here. I just don't think in the in the heavy litigious like society of Hollywood today. Yeah, they're not going to sign over. You can use a three minute clip. Yeah. Well, of, and and it's kind points. of like I watched uh, Pump Up the Volume yesterday. Oh, yeah. I love that shit. Which you can't find anywhere. Um, oh, that's why you texted me. Right? That was for something else. Um, but like donkey porn. Uh, we're not gonna get into that donkey vanity porn. Maybe. But anyway, um, yeah, that's one of the things that I was wondering the whole time. But this movie. To get back to the original point, like reminds me the most of Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. And I think, you know, to agree with you guys on it, like a kind of a different level of nostalgia, it's like I know that at least part of my uh, enjoyment of the film comes from the fact that it reminds me of another film that I like so much. And it's funny, Phantom of the Paradise, I love as well. Like I yeah. I was on a, about but 10 I mean, years ago, I was on a binge of like De Palma 
And that's kind of an odd De Palma film, right? It definitely st- sticks out from the films at that yeah. time. Real early De Palma, too. Really early De Palma. And I really ended up loving it. And I watched my, my roommate at the time, Mike. And we both were just like, enjoyed it thoroughly and it had a great vibe. And that I just felt like, I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but like it has the element of Phantom of the Opera mixed together with like 70s kind of pop music. Right. You know, it's for me just like melted together more as a narrative than the kind of disparate thing we have going on in Last Dragon. Yeah. But, you know. Well, and uh, to be fair, I think to pick up kind of back where you were talking about where you enjoyed this movie is that the action in it is pretty good. Like when it does happen. I'm not saying. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun and it's believable. It's believable enough. Yeah, exactly. And because you also have like Eddie Reyes Jr. comes in as yeah, like one of his awesome. sidekicks, which apparently his dad did a lot of the fight coordination for yep. the movie. His dad is a martial arts legend. Yeah, exactly. So like you have, it's weird. Again, you have this entire like cross-cultural melting pot of people picking from each other, like each other and, and the things that they enjoy about each other's cultures, even bleeding into the movie itself. So... That's pretty amazing, and I, and again, I think it makes for something totally unique and enjoyable. Um, you also have fucking Bruce Leroy's little ass brother, who yeah, he's great. amazing. So and also teaches him how to kiss a girl. Uh, well, the moves, baby, you gotta have the moves. Yeah, like, and that that kind of is a whole other topic because there's a weird through line in this movie about like uh bruce leroy's like not only never kissed a girl but is kind of like socially inept the whole time yeah. and then even when she he does like kiss vanity he bases his first kiss off of like watching bruce lee kiss a woman on like as part of the mixtape that he that she made for him and it's fucking weird man. i think it's just supposed to be an interpretation of his purity in, in being that he is sure de- he's devoted his life solely to the martial arts. So, and, and that also comes into play later on as he spoiler alert does achieve the, the level of master. Well, and it's funny that you bring up the purity thing because that's one of the things that they talk about and Ty, like, cause I found an interview uh, with Ty Mac um, where he talks about like winning the role. And one of the things that he always said that he believes like won him the role is that he was from New York. He was a martial artist. He didn't have any acting experience. So there was almost like a natural innocence that he brought to the role that they saw that that helped him like kind of beat out the other actors, which, okay, cool. He can't act out of a fucking paper bag. Ooh, man, but, like, it's rough. It's yeah. rough. Like there's some bad ones, but it also like to Cody's point, it, it adds that weird, like purity to the character to where you watch him. You actually believe like, yeah, He's maybe this guy doesn't know. 18 hours a, a day on his master's. Yeah. Barge. Boat, uh, on, on his master's <laughs> houseboat. houseboat dojo yacht. He's got his own Miyagi. That's right. So he, he's on that boat 18 hours a day. He's not interacting with anybody. He, I don't even know if he graduated middle school, let alone high school. He's just been there training, learning how to psychically understand what 
taped arrows are flying at him so he can distinguish between yeah. the red and the blue. So Which apparently that so was that a he real can know without knowing. Yeah, no, I, I that was a real stunt that shots. he performed where he actually did that. With yeah, the when arrow. we were watching it this go round, I was like, oh, I can tell by watching this, like he actually did this. I mean, they they might yeah. have they they definitely fired those arrows with like a, a a soft strung bow, like a real loosely strung bow, so they weren't traveling at like any sort of a lethal speed or high velocity. Mm. But I love it when you talk velocity. To I me. know you do. But it's enough that I mean, you can watch the arrows like fly off screen. They're they're still vibrating because they're in air. They're not on a wire, and he's he's coming around like with technique and making eye contact, and then like breaking a mid air. I love when you talk technique to me. I'm just saying it was impressive. Now this is where I'm gonna be a bit of a bring down bummer on this. I think the innocence uh, that Timac brought was well, also the reason the that he well know that he ended up getting fucked over in mm. his entire career because we all kind of made the comment as we were watching and even looked up his credits is that he really never did anything after this um and I found out why is because apparently there were supposed to be two sequels all news to me um one he was going to get paid 60 grand for because how much did he get paid for this I I don't know um, but he was offered sixty on one, and a hundred on the second. You, how much did this film make? Twenty-five mil. Million. Yeah. Wow. But that was the thing is that they told him flat out that's all the money he was going to get. And take it or leave it. Yeah, take it or leave it. So, do you know if they told him that like at the get, like before this was filmed, or like after? No, he said afterwards. Okay. Like from the sounds of it, the product like this production kind of flew by the seat of its pants of like the original movie. They, they had these big sound stages and then they blended that with like actual like location shooting in New York city. And then, you know, Barry Gordy, this was his first time like really producing a movie and like, it was all kind of coming together in like a very weird way. Um, but time act talks about how, you know, after the movie kind of became a modest hit, they wanted sequels they flew him out. A modest hit? It made $45 million? 25. Oh, 25. Yeah. So it was like decent. And then it became a cult hit, hit like over time. So it so made it, a lot it picked more up the money. money. 20 years later when yeah. VHSs were going out. And he DVDs. met with the original producer, Barry Gordy's right-hand woman. She was the one who originally found the script, like brought it to Barry Gordy. And then um, afterwards... He said, you know, when he originally joined the production, like he flew out, he stayed at Barry Gordy's like Bel Air estate. He went to the Playboy Mansion with Barry Gordy. Like he was given a Mercedes by Barry Gordy to like drive around Hollywood in. Like he was treated like a king. Like while, yeah. yeah, like when the first, when the production happened. So it was in like 83, 84. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then when uh the sequels, it came time to essentially negotiate the sequels. Barry Gordy disappeared on him and basically brought her in. And as he, he literally terms her a pit bull is that she came in and he was with his lawyer and she basically acted with the lawyers of Motown records and looked at him straight up and was like, you're not worth any more than this. You're not going to make any points on this movie. You're either going to sign this or you're not going to get anything. What he didn't know was in his original contract, he had basically an exclusivity clause with Motown Records that prevented him from making movies or anything else with anybody else. So he even explains it as that he essentially got paid like weekly for doing nothing for years after The Last Dragon because it was just, 
if he didn't make movies with them, he basically wasn't going to make movies with anybody. So that's why Tymac kind of disappeared. It's Tippi Hedren's career as well. It's what Hitchcock yeah. did to her. He said, you're going to be my films and that's it. And they, she couldn't get out of that contract. Yeah, it's he crazy. Owned, he owned it. It's crazy. So, like, that's, that's kind of the sad part. It's devastatingly mind-blowing. Yeah, that's the sad part of The Last Dragon. So, sorry, guys. What a bummer. Because <laughs> there were supposed to be two more, but this was, in fact... Man, could you the imagine what dragon. the sequel to this fucking movie would even look like? I have no idea, because he gets the glow, so it's going to turn yeah. into a Superman. Mm, and it has the best theme song. You get the glow. That was the best. Body and soul. That was the best part of the movie for me. That was like with that awesome like '80s animation that was like kind of stenciling the outside it was, of their bodies. It was so Tron. But it looked. But I I think it looks no, like in, in, in the best way. But it looks cool today. I was, yeah. like, I was like, this is like very pleasing to the eye. I love the '80s look. I love the music right now. Like all like basically in that moment in that scene, I said, I want this as a whole movie. Right. Like it's like scenes of him with that power beating the hell out of guys. Yeah. With crazy '80s music from like and they're trying to like vanity there. But yeah, but I, I thought that part worked really well. It's great. Yeah. You guys ready to get into questions? Let's do it. Questions about 1985's The Last Dragon. Cody, I'm going to turn it over to you since it's your pick this week. Hit us. Thank you, sir. Uh, let me put this one to Martin. What you got? Uh, so, in the different clothing realms, the, the different clothing uh, features that we get in this film, uh, which would you wear if you were to make, if you were to build a video game avatar of yourself, which clothing options would you give would you give yourself the mesh shirt or the uh the fingerless gloves the shoulder pads or like the the all white kind of half gi half suit that our hero wears in the final scene oh uh fingerless gloves all right all the way i think i had his fingerless gloves <laughs> As a kid, and I had one white glove, and I wore it around the house. My brother called me Michael Jackson I was before he beat me up. And I what? Just stop. Yeah. What? Hap? How? What? Wait, There's got to be right backstory here. Hand? It was my right hand. Okay. So you had a white glove. You just wore it in the house. But it was a right. It was a right hand fingerless glove. Fingerless glove. And did it have like the holes over the knuckles? No, no, no. It was just it was just a white. I think my mom had made it for like a costume. Like was it bedazzled? No, I just I remember one time 
my parents had a my parents had a big adult party like all their colleagues and stuff and my brother was older than me and i just walked through with my glove on and he goes hey fuck you michael jackson in front of all these old people your brother said fuck you michael jackson in the middle of an adult yeah party the carlson house was wild it was rough it was rough like That's why I didn't like Glass Dragon because it reminded me of just where I grew up. It was just like there was some some roughness. It brought back some past trauma. It, yeah, exactly. Definitely. Man, I just I'm amazed. Do you still like? Is the glove at your parents' house? Like, could we find the glove? It's in my secret box. <laughs> my shoe box I, of pain. This is for a whole Did other <laughs> episode. No, no, no. This is for a Patreon episode in the future. We need to talk about Martin's secret box. I want to know what's in it. And our listeners will pay five dollars. That sounds great. <laughs> Did your brother ever hire a uh, a crew of mercenaries to come and take the uh, the glove from you? Like no. such as like a savage yeah. uh, beast man or yeah? Were you ever? Were did they like send you to like a camp to like get you back to normal or what? Like what's going <laughs> to, on to uh, deprogram me? Yeah. Um, no. Um, I like sure he said fuck you, but it, it, my, my memory <laughs> my memory says. But the energy of the memory says, fuck you, Michael Jackson. But it was more like he made fun of me in front of the whole party, and I cried and left the room. Like, how, this how, old you think you were the how old do you think you were at the time? I was six or seven. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was like 13. That's that shit that stays with you yeah. for the rest of your we, life. Although, so you know but at the same is. time, in terms of little kid shit, wearing a white glove, that's still fucked up. I don't care what age you are. Yeah. No, but you know what that is? Like, you being six or seven, him being like 13, that's still that, like... I was the baby. Now you're the baby. Now fuck you. My brother and I are like we're really our best friends now. Like I was his best man. Yeah. But like our we just tell stories you, to each other you, like that. We're like, dude, you guys we were, bonded over. But hard we were target. so mean to each other. Like I would find horrible things to say to him. Like I would read books of like cuss words just to find things to to fuck with him about. Was this post white glove? That's post. Oh, I was like I was back with out, vengeance. You, wait, so did you seek out like cuss words for dummies? Like what's going on, Martin? Your entire childhood is a fucking mystery now that i want to unlock like pandora's box <laughs> well that's, a also, patreon an, that's box. also an additional patreon yeah, for the, another five dollars well, that's, that's the, that's the ten dollar tier is, that's the ama <laughs> ask martin anything about his fucked up child that's martin's just fans is his patreon <laughs> his, uh, martin's only his pandora oh box. we launched martin's only fans but he wears the glove the entire time that's it no nothing but the glove it's him wearing the glove slowly unlocking his own pandora's box oh that's his butthole uh jacob what would you wear out of those options what were the options again i'm Uh, i'm stuck on the glove man it's the uh the the mesh shirt the fingerless gloves the shoulder pads or oh shoulder pads all the the way fuck 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 everything else shoulder pads i would wear them you're doing some like show enough head oh yeah just on the top i mean unlike martin i'm not a i'm i don't have any shame I will wear the shoulder pads and I will wear nothing else. I'll hang dong in shoulder pads like fucking Lawrence Taylor on crack. I feel like Lawrence Taylor on crack would be less representative of his natural. Wait, do you think Lawrence Taylor on crack would wear more clothes or less clothes? Because I'm going no, with No, I just less think clothes. his penis would be smaller on crack. I mean, we're still talking about Lawrence Taylor. I mean, his penis small and crack. We're talking about going from like donkey to giraffe, maybe. <laughs> Cody, what would you wear? I would go the the the, the white gi slash suit combo, just for the the, the classic uh, classy look. 
you, you still get some sophistication with with some some room to breathe. You can throw some techniques, but you can also go to a a, a, a nice uh, vanity prom. You know what? I'm gonna tell you. You can write questions, but you can't fucking answer them for shit, bruh. <laughs> <laughs> Question two, son. Ugh. Jacob. Uh, which scene would you either put into a film that you were making or base a film you were making upon from this film? Like from this? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what. I I really believe the grindhouse moment is the best scene in the entire movie. Just it's, because it it's seems so, to be like the, the realist scene. Yeah, the it's thing. so insane from the the jukebox or not jukebox, but boombox uh, crushing. To the dancing in the aisles, to the calling out and like a fight happening, like all that stuff, like it made sense to me when I read afterwards that the the uh, screenwriter essentially based it on a real experience in a grindhouse because like I was watching, I was like, yeah, this this feels right, um, except for the dude eating fucking popcorn with chopsticks in the front row. That's the one detail where I was like, that's that's a bit much, but you know what? The rest totally stays. So I'm going with that one. Martin, to you. I actually like the stuff at the pizzeria. Um, oh shit, we haven't even gotten into the pizzeria no, yet. Yeah. Which Movie has the greatest pizza to Daddy Green Pizza. That's <laughs> the greatest slogan of all time. That I like anything where you have like a hero story where it's like their base of operations, and the pizza place seems like that's where like he goes back to like his parents' house above it, apartment above it, and then the pizza place. Yeah, I, I love I love all the signs on the wall. I love. All of that um, kind of has. I mean, honestly, it's a, a, a interesting thing about Sal's Pizzeria, and, and, and yeah, and, I was gonna go there too, to where like it's weird. Like, imagine that being <laughs> like two blocks down from Sal's in like 1989. Like, I wonder if they had beef at a certain point, right? Like, could you imagine fucking Danny Aiello like going down to that pizzeria? There would be, I mean, there'd be some racial slurs like thrown out. Yeah, and John Turturro just be like being. Oh really God, mean. that's even worse. Um, but no, I like I like the whole like I just like the setting of that. I love all the signs on the wall, and it's like. It just kind of gives a sense of like if this were like a superhero film, this would be like where he goes back to. Yeah, you know, and again, it's like his daily bugle, and it's a pizza parlor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not the Batcave, but it's the daily bugle. It's just like where he he's trains kind of, on the roof daily. Yeah, I I yeah, like that's good. I like that feel. Um, and again, that's what I wanted more of was just the hero stuff, the superhero like only that. I did <laughs> like else I just put together is that uh, Eddie Arcadian already has a tie to Leroy Green, and that Leroy Green's family restaurant has an Eddie Arcadian uh, music video jukebox. Yeah, yeah, they have it in there in the restaurant. But oh, I think man. everybody does though too. You know what? There's another great scene in that movie too, where fucking Shonuff like comes into the pizzeria and like fuck like fucking threatens his whole family and then smashes the jukebox and and Leroy. Leroy, uh, uh, Bruce Leroy's dad goes, that's not even mine. <laughs> that's a great, that's so good. What would you put, Cody? What scene would you take? Probably the, the fight collaboration at the end that also turns into like a, uh, so it's, it's him coming to rescue her. And Wait, are you a, talking about the club fight? Yeah. So yeah, that's Eddie really Arcade, good. When he's walking in. You and guys as, compared it to Teenage uh, Mutant Ninja uh, that's, Turtles. Uh, that's actually what I'm going to get into later. That, that's oh, I'm my, sorry. Uh, I don't want to step on your double feet. I do that too. That's why I've been staying away that's from that. That's my pairing. Oh, girl. Uh, oh, darling. Uh, so as, as he's walking like across the stage, 
Eddie Arcadian's, you know, somewhere Phantom of the Operating in the rafters with with a video camera straight, like a straight, like tight one shot on his face and a microphone out of camera frame. Man, he's got That's a true. guy. How did he? Feel he's got that? a guy flipping switches like right as Leroy is crossing the the, the large television screens, going Leroy. Oh, that's true because it turns into the like fucking running man for yeah, five yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is a perfect, perfect. And comparison. I, yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, that's oh, of I course. Fit. That's top Schwarzenegger for me, dude. If you don't like the Running Man, get the fuck out of my house. No, I. That's my shit. Yeah. So if if I could either take a scene and build a movie around it, or just you know say that's my favorite scene of it, that 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 would be it right there. When and it also starts off like him trying to fight all the the mercenary dudes off. The guy's biting through. He he. The guy gets a hold of his nunchucks, takes a chunk out of it. Yeah. Like a, yeah. Oh, that was cool. Like a hot dog and like busts it down. And also that guy looked like he belonged in the Running Man. Well, I also liked it too because again, it's weird that we we did. I made the comment earlier. I should say uh, that the movie doesn't really have any plot, but the script is actually weirdly structured at least decently <laughs> no yeah. it's structured like like a musical yeah it's structured like a musical but he even like bruce leroy brings all of the students that he's teaching earlier to come in and like fight with eddie arcadian yep. and mike Starr and all those guys and like it's actually a really good climax to it Curry's is it's point. great it is uh so so yeah that that would be my pick for a scene that i would build a movie around or incorporate into a movie that i would make boom better answer than number one i gotta give you that much uh, Martin, what's your favorite Bruce Lee film? Oh, man. I mean, it's got to be End of the Dragon. I know it's like the Bruce Lee film. Um, that It has that like James Bond vibe. It also has the Mortal Kombat vibe, which I'm a huge, as you know, <laughs> we played together. I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan. Yes. And and the setup of just like this, this island run by this horrible like kind of bond villain who wants to have a fighting tournament. John you end Sa- up with a, a specialized arena and he's got a specialized weapon. Uh, yeah. I mean, just like having like the awesome claw and all the stuff he can change his hand with very, yeah. very bond villain. It's got the most iconic scenes out of all of Every, everything. I mean, it's, it's just like, I feel like that's like sadly like, later in his career where it all kind of was firing on all cylinders and Again, watch it with my dad. I think my dad rented that for me when I was young. He's like, "You should see this." Yeah, and we watched it together. And I was like, I was like probably ten, and he's like, "I think you're gonna like this." And I just, it blew me away. Um, it is interesting too that how this movie borrows from the blue, the Bruce Lee iconography is that like Bruce Leroy in this is wearing uh, ga- the Game of Death jumpsuit. Yeah, it's it's not which goes borrowing. down to it's, it's Kill Bill directly yeah. emulating. Yeah. And Kill Bill borrows that as well. Yeah, the whole, exactly. It's this iconic image. Which I mean is the most tragic if you think about it the most tragic iconography too. Absolutely. Um but yeah, for me Enter the Dragon, I just I love that movie so much like the plot of that too and just everything. And I also like Kentucky Fried Movie and it's 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 farce Fistful of Yen. Oh God! Of Enter the it's Dragon, so good. It's so funny. Like Kentucky Fried Movie. Now again, it, this, it does not age well. Oh well, my God! I think it's aged fine. I actually <laughs> like the more problematic segments. I mean, that's no surprise to anybody. But, right. Um, right. I'm, I'm I, trying to be a little more. I like to say woke. Think. Uh, I think what's interesting about Kentucky Fried Movie, not to get too far off on like a tangent, is that. I feel like that's a movie kind of along with Airplane at this point that's sort of skipped a generation. Like, I wonder yeah. how many, like, millennials or what's the 
What's the fucking group after millennials? Zennials? Zennials? Zoomials? Well, before. No, we're Zennials. Are we no, Zennials? We're, we're millennials. If, if you yeah. are born... Like, I'm technically at the beginning of millennials because I'm 82. And up, then you're a millennial. Yeah. And I, I don't know what the cutoff is, but... I think 82 we, is the cut. I'm all, at the... T- I'm literally at the start. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so you're, we're all millennials. I'm like... I hover right between Gen X and millennial. Yeah, my brother's Gen X, and then I'm like... Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're kind of Gen Y. Gen Y is also us, right? Like, I don't. I sometimes I don't <laughs> I can't get keep up. any of these fucking I hope definitions. We all this out. <laughs> um, but where I was going with this is that I wonder if, like, uh, Kentucky Fried Movie and Airplane and a lot of those Zucker Brothers kind of Zazz comedies have skipped a generation because you don't hear a lot of like millennials or whatever the generation is after them like referencing shit like the Naked Gun, you know. My brother and I were just talking. He just rewatched the whole series of Naked Gun, and we were talking How many about. Are there three or four? Three, okay. and we talked Classics. about Naked he, Gun again. Two and a half, then three and a half. Thirty-three, 33 and a third. Thirty-three and a third. Thirty-three and a third. Yeah. Two and a half. Thirty-three and a third. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He introduced me to Kentucky Fried Movie, and I was, I think it was like I was sixteen. That's when we were friends. Now, this after the White Glove incident, and then he bought it for me for my birthday one year, and I we that's our thing. Um, did uh, you ever jacket with the white glove on? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay. That was before that time. Um, <laughs> but there was a, with Kentucky Fried Movie too. like this, the whole fistful of Yen sequence. It's so um, great. It's so pitch perfect too. And the uh, fucking speech impediment. It, it It's like, I'm trying to think of this one line my brother always quote to each other. Um, and then when they hate all the all the prisoners are like in the wrong cells. Yeah. It's like these are the men who are drunk and do not care. <laughs> just, these are the ones. These are the drunk men. These are the ones who do not care. He goes, I'm in the wrong cell, and they switch them around. It's like this ridiculous, like yeah. long sequitur. Yeah. That. But yeah. Sorry. End of the dragon for you. Jacob. Uh, for me, I don't know if it's my favorite, but I love the big boss. Um, That's good. It's a really good movie because for me, it's the movie that it kind of in uh, sets the template in a weird way for the Bruce Lee movies because you would have. I'm not a huge Fist of Fury fan. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like that's way more of a traditional uh, borderline wuxia movie. It's not, but like it's telling a very traditional kind of kung yeah. fu story about feuding schools, Japanese versus Chinese, and like that's all kind of interesting, but it kind of drags on. Like that's the movie where you first see Bruce Lee really coordinating his own fights and stuff. Like he basically is capitalizing on uh, the success of the big boss and like mm. people noticing like how much of a screen presence he is and stuff. But like the big boss is really interesting to me because you can tell Lee hasn't quite figured out the acting part yet, but he moves in such a way that like, you've never quite seen anybody on screen, like fight the way that he's fought. He had to slow himself down. Yeah, so exactly. That the camera could pick him up. Well, and the fights are brutal in that too. But I also like that there's like a legit story to the big boss that I was really engaged with. Um, somebody, a, a, a buddy of mine uh, named a uh, writer named Simon Abrams called it Bruce Lee's, uh, What's the John Sayles movie that Criterion just put out that's a Made one? Yeah, Made one. I exactly. love that movie so He much. called it the Bruce Lee equivalent of Made one, which is like, that's a pretty good 
kind of jumping off point because it's all about these workers who are being exploited yeah. in like a Thai ice house and they're like disappearing. And then Bruce Lee's like this rube who kind of comes in and investigates uh, and finds out that they're, they're, they're basically being killed off and being used as like disposable workforce. But there's like a real subtext to the film beyond like the Kung Fu and everything to where it's all about the, it, my favorite exploitation movies are movies about exploitation. <laughs> yeah. Movies about that's, that's a good point. people yeah. being used up and spit out by the system, and that's very much what The Big Boss is about, and that's why I really like it. Plus, it has just fucking kick-ass fighting on top of it. So there, there's my answer. My favorite, possibly, is the first. I would say that, and I'll... I, sorry, real quick. Uh, Chinese Connection for me as well. Right. Um, Which they reference in this film. Yeah, and it just because of the connection to Chen Zhen and that you have... Jet Li play him in Fist of Legend, and then Donnie Yen play him in The Legend of Chen Wait, Jin. is that... So Chinese Connection is Fist of Fury, Is right? that the other name for it? Yeah, yeah, because it's an alternate title. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Because that's when he plays... It's, is Chen Jen his character name? Am I incorrect? And that's the one they referenced in this when he goes undercover and acts as a uh, telephone yes, operator? Yes, exactly. Yes, that's, that's it. Technician? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, um, that's Fist of Fury. Okay, cool. Yeah, I just... Yeah. I always, like... I, I forget that the same film, but yeah, that... The fact that you have three of the these different eras, which of, they also of st- reference in Rapid Fire. Well, and like yeah. the Chinese connection was the, it became, if I remember right, the legend goes that the Chinese connection became the title or the the title overseas. It was like the American title because they swapped the names on the film can. Oh, I didn't know so that. So that's just what they called it instead of Fist of Fury. It was so just it was called an accident? The, yeah, it was accidentally called the, the, the Chinese connection. I could be wrong. That could be like totally apocryphal, but like Still I'm cool. going to go with it. <laughs> Cody, what's yours? Uh, mine is The Way of the Dragon. And purely yeah. because of the meetup fight scene between Chuck Norris <laughs> and Bruce Lee. Yeah, you can't beat that. That it's really good. That was like one of the defining moments of my my childhood, and mainly because, well, okay, so not not mainly for defining for me, but defining for cinema, especially American cinemas, and and what really brought Bruce Lee to the forefront and changed a lot of American ideals. So you have this Chinese man using his own form of martial arts, which he created fighting against an American man who is the, the the antagonist in the film. So you have Chuck Norris fighting Bruce Lee, and it you know it's coming down to it. They're going shot for shot. Chuck Norris is getting his chest hair ripped out, and he's getting kicked down to the floor, and then, then Bruce Lee takes the win, and American audiences are cheering for it. So not only is it wonderful for its historical context, but I, it's just one of the films that I remember most strongly in my mind from my childhood. Yeah, it's a good-ass movie. It's it's a great-ass movie. Yeah. I haven't seen that in so long, but that is... Yeah, that fight is just... It is beyond iconic. It's untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. Next question. Next question. Jacob, mm. how would you utilize your own personal piranha tank? Oh, that's a good question. Um... I don't know if I would feed enemies to him or like use it to torture people like they do in this movie. Yeah, I feel like, well, a warm head needs cool water. I got to tell you, uh, I would be really nervous 
about owning piranhas because I love my cat and I'll be worried that Kitty <laughs> would try and get into the piranha tank and like she would fall in and then that would be the end of Kitty. So like I would I don't know if I would own piranhas because like she's kind of I don't know. There's this is the world in which you do own a piranha tank. Okay. How would you utilize it? Um to your advantage. Honestly, for just like Zen shit. Like I would probably throw some like a little bit of meat in there and just watch them eat and like hang out and then just like chill and pet my kitty and be like, yo, don't go in that tank. Like that would be, that I mean, would be my you thing. can put a lid on it. I know I can put a fucking lid on it, Cody. Like I'm just saying that like I would be nervous. I love my cat. I would be nervous about my cat getting into the piranha tank. Does that make me a bad person to love my cat as much as I do? This is... I'm just not into the way that this question is turning out, and I'm going to turn it over to Martin. I'm very deeply offended. <laughs> I feel like you went very almost Tarantino with that at the so end So for me, um, it would be one of two things. Like realistically, it would just be a trash It would be a, a trash compactor where I would just throw random shit in there. Oh, that's a good one. And yeah. no, no, seriously, like I'm a garbage person, so I'll be like, oh, I have trash in the floor. I'm throw it in there. I've been it. in your apartment. You are a garbage person. Dude, I, I, I sleep before you guys come over, but... Um, <laughs> he actually cleaned up before we came I clean up both times you come over, I mean, so you fuck put the you. scotch out. But, uh, and hiding the scotch. But I... My Bond villain thing, I just, I love the, the, if I were in the, the more fantastical world, it would be I'd intimidate my enemies, have this like, if not in my apartment, in like more of a base, you know, like I've always wanted to have like sharks or piranha in a base where it's like sharks with freaking lasers. With lasers yeah. And, um, <laughs> But I'm thinking Mr. Big um, in uh, Live and Let Die. You know, oh, yeah. like having sharks around. The, and it's someplace for... That's it, way better than Mr. Big and uh, Sex in the City. So. Yes. And for enemies to fall into and be eaten. Um, what about like... Wait. So what's better? Live or Let Die or License to Kill? Ooh. Which has sharks. Um, honestly, I can't choose between the two. Those are my two favorite Yeah, they're films. so good. I, I think that one is like... And again, this is a whole other episode, but Live and Let Die is like Daniel Craig before Daniel Craig was cool. Yeah. It's like high, super realistic, dark, like gritty Bond that did not well, fly at the time. Well, it's also the black exploitation Bond. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm talking about Live and Let, uh, License to Kill. Sorry. Oh, License yeah. to Kill. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. License to Kill. Well, License to Kill is almost like the Canon Films Bond. It, it's it's that, but also... But it's a like bigger budget. It has but, that, you know. but also the grit that people didn't like. Yeah. And then I think, yeah, Live and Let Die is the black exploitation um, James Bond, and it's so... I love every set piece in that movie. I think, honestly, the best James Bond action scene ever is the boat chase in the bayou, period. That is my favorite Bond it's scene. pretty good. My favorite action scene of all time. And yeah. and of course, good um, New Orleans uh, setting. Too, all the New Orleans stuff, and then like you know, Baron Zamity on the island. There's just so many yeah. elements that like, it all comes back book. to Hard Target. Yeah, well, and again, true. Hard Target it has a very it has a very comic book feel. Yeah, that I think you just can't beat. And then you know, Guy Hamilton directing like Bond royalty as a director. Yeah, you can't beat it. So all right, Cody, what would you do with your piranhas? It's a pretty simple answer, I suppose. You would that. fuck them. No, that that would be you too, dirty boy. That would be to discern which fast food is the best. 
I would take little chunks of different fast food restaurants that I enjoy and toss them into the tank and see which ones the piranhas ate and which ones they disregarded. Damn, that is a good outside-the-box answer. I feel like White Castle would be really big, good piranha food. You think so? I feel like Taco Bell would be left to rot. Oh, mm, I don't know. Look, I enjoy Taco Bell once in a blue moon, but... What's the best fast food? Like, what's the best national fast food for you guys? Wait, national? National. Man, it's hard. I, I know local. It's called Pete Wendy's. Terry's. No, Wendy's. I, I probably Wendy's. If it were more regional, if there's more, I would say for me, Jack in the Box. You get more areas to have Jack in the Box. Mm, they need my no. name at Jack in the Box over on Congress. I'll so. put Jack in the Box just because they have curly fries. They're so good. Jack in the Box sucks. Next wow. question. All right, next cue. It's better Let's than In and Out. Start off with Indeed. Mr. Knight. Yes. Not necessarily in the context of this film, but sort of in the context of this film. Yeah. Would you... What? Okay, let, let's just say, just, just above and beyond. Uh, would you prefer Vanity or would Vanity. you prefer Lisa Bonet? Vanity. It doesn't... There's no competition. It's Vanity. Mm. Like Vanity all day, every day, until the end of time. So if you could put Vanity in Angel Heart, you would do it? Vanity fucked Sasquatch, dude. <laughs> Lisa Bonet fucked Mickey Rourke. It's pretty close. Oh, fuck. God damn it. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, but Vanity, 100%. Like, I, I'm ride or die Vanity. Like, she's just such a formative, like, like yeah, brain-exploding hotness that right. she'll always be my answer. Mr. Mattress King of Austin? Um, yeah, I mean... Lisa Bonet all the way. I, I just don't have the relationship that Jacob has with Vanity growing up, but Lisa Bonet, I grew up with her on the Cosby show. And even even at my young age, knew that she kind of like, quote unquote, fucked up doing Angel Heart. Like it, it kind of ruined well, it, her, 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 her career for a bit. Well, well she, she was yeah, fucking up. There's the, we, should, we should define that too. Like she, f- quote unquote, That's what I'm saying. fucked up. Like in terms of public perception, yes, like she should be allowed to do whatever she no, wants. No, absolutely. She should yeah. be allowed to be a grown adult yeah. woman in America and do her artistic choices. And no, absolutely. And Even Angel if Heart it is with Mickey Rourke. And Angel Heart is top ten favorite movie, and I think she's amazing. Oh wow, Angel it, Heart ranks that high. I mean, I love me. it too. It's top ten for yeah. me. Yeah. Also, I mean, if you want to go at people fucking up their careers on the Cosby Show, Bill Cosby. Yeah. Whoa, and didn't we notice that uh, B- Bruce Leroy's uh, little sister? It's in, Rudy. Yeah, it's Rudy from The Cosby Show. Yeah. yeah. There we go. As a very young Very child. young. Right, yeah. Probably right two years before she probably went on the show, two or three. Yeah, five can't years, be. Five yeah. years old, six? Yeah, she, so, was like, she was young there. I don't even know if she's five or six. She I, I don't know how to age children. Yeah, yeah me neither. So what do, you, what do you choose? Vanity or Lisa uh, Bonet? Lisa Bonet. And... God, you guys are fucking trying to me. Lisa Bonet just has so much more depth of character. She, she, what? She, she just has agree. so much more to her. Vanity is like obviously. What do you want to read? Fucking level. Lisa Bonet's Criterion essay? Like, what, what are you talking also, about? Also, Lisa Bonet in High Fidelity is amazing, too. Uh, I mean, she has. Yeah. Yeah. That she has that, like, she's very. She has is that Mary, ethereal presence. She's sexy, but also she's, she has this intelligence she's that comes worldly. across. She's otherworldly. Yeah, she's like from a different planet. She also gave Jason Momoa super babies. So. She sure shit did. 
And, and, Lenny and, and he rebuilt her Ooh, mustache. Yeah. Her, Lenny, uh, Zoe Kravitz is their kid together. So, yeah. And she's amazing. And Vanity died from smoking Wait, what crack. did you say? Zoe Kravitz is uh, Lisa Bonet and, and uh, Lenny, Lenny Kravitz, Kravitz yeah, is, yeah. is they, they also, yeah. All of Lisa Bonet's children are super babies. So what else do you need? Look, all I'm saying is that I would like to smoke crack and have sex with Vanity. That's all I want to say. I think it's well, totally fair. And I don't terrible want, fact. I don't want to stop you. She passed from kidney failure I due know. to crack slash cocaine exposure. I know. Okay. I know. All right. Thanks for bringing it up, Cody. He yeah. brought it up. I, I think Cody brought it up. No. Yeah. Let's blame Cody. <laughs> All right. For everything. Next question. 9-11. Martin. <laughs> Martin, what, what do you double feature with The Last Dragon? Um, we talked about what we were watching. But I think Miami Connection for me. Um, Damn, that's good. It's yeah. Fun one. Fun I... One. I saw it with you, Cody, uh, for like my tenth viewing. We saw it together at the Alamo. That with was my first viewing yeah. with, with the uh, with, with the star and producer with, with the director in in, in he, audience. Not director. He didn't direct it. Why kick him? Yeah, no. he did not direct it. Oh, yeah. It's actually the the owner of the the restaurant in the film they go to is the director. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe I messed all that up in my mind. He's the Joe Mary of his time. <laughs> yes, Miami Connection is just it has that. Um, we had a long talk about this too, which was, I think, for another episode, but it being a film that's so sincere. Yeah. And it's so sincere and it's love of martial art films, but it's so. They don't know what they're doing. Like, they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Yeah. And, but it, the, the, the sincerity comes across, I think, in the film. There's actually some pretty fun martial arts in it. It's hilarious too. Like it's hilariously bad. Like versus Last Dragon, I don't think is quite bad enough for me to have. I don't think it's a bad movie. It's not a poorly made movie. Miami Connection is like kind of a shit movie that happens to be wonderful. Um, I take issue with that, but I see what you're saying. But yeah, do you know what I'm saying? I yeah. agree with what you're saying. Yeah, Jacob. Um, God, there's so many options that you could go with, but like honestly. The one I would go with is I would love to watch The Last Dragon on a double bill with Purple Rain. Like, Interesting, yeah. I would totally murder to watch it because they're both sort of musical. Which would you start the double feature with? Oh, Purple Rain. Yeah, Purple Rain would have to start. Like, Purple okay. Rain, you draw them in and you make them stay for The Last Dragon. But, like, I would just love to watch it because of the Prince connection with Vanity, because of the both have great... Uh, music from the era both are shot pretty similarly if you think about it because you know you have all of the uh, concert footage with prince performing in the club and then the minneapolis kind of location shooting um you, you mix that with the last dragons kind of over the top campiness and like staginess with their like kind of nyc location shooting i just think they would make a great double bill together um now to be fair you might want to mix up the lineup because I don't know if you follow like the titular number in purple rain because like Cody disagrees with me and is wrong about life. Uh, but like (laughs) purple rain is one of the great movie musicals of all time. And it's because of that final number that makes me cry like a baby each time. Like it's just, God, that movie is near perfect, near perfect exploitation. So if you took out that that final musical scene of the film, would you still love it as much? Yes. I mean, you, it wouldn't be as good, uh, but like, that's also like asking like, if you took the fucking burger out of a hamburger, would it still be as good? You don't take the Purple Rain set piece out of Purple Rain. Like, 
I mean, you still have Darling Nikki. Get your fucking head out of your ass. You like, still have Darling Nikki. You still have the other... Uh, yeah, the you, other songs you, are you great. You still have Cleansing Yourself the and, other and, song, and the Waters of Lake Minnetonka. the other songs are great. But you, the transition from Purple Rain into I Would Die For You is one of the greatest uh, movie moments of all time. How many times have you seen that in Point the theater? fucking blank. In the theater? Yeah. Six. All right. Cody, what's your, what's your pick for double feature? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Good pick. Two. What? Oh. Bad pick. Bad pick. Eddie Reyes Jr. And the lighthearted... Secret of the Ooze. Yep. And the lighthearted animated feeling of it all yep the the i don't get me wrong i think that the original teenage mutant ninja turtles is the superior film in the teenage mutant ninja turtles franchise you you guys were so ride or die (laughs) for this like while we were watching last dragon like we had to pause it so that you guys could go off on a teenage mutant ninja turtles rant and i went i remember watching it as a kid but i don't remember it being that good it stuck with it's part of my it well you guys convinced me to go back and revisit it i've ordered it and it's on the way like i'm watching one and two or just one I'm just watching one. I I remember two because of Vanilla Ice. Don't ever watch three. Uh, you can watch. Is you, that you can, wait? What Turtles in Time? Turtles, Turtles in, the, in they, Time. They I have. To, uh, I yeah. saw all of them in the theaters as a kid, so I've seen them all. But what? I. Have but zero did you see memory. the traveling stage show? Oh, yes. I wanted. I wanted to see that. Actually, I did. Which was connected to the TV show. Right. Yeah. yeah. I saw it in Philly. Really? Yeah. You're blowing my mind. I know. You've never seen two or three, but you saw the traveling. Road I just trip? told you I saw everyone in the oh, theater. Okay, Dickhead, sorry. listen to me. <laughs> I forgot. You just don't remember them. <laughs> I Secret of the Ooze was. I, mean, I told you when we were talking about it. The most excited I ever was for a movie to come in the theater. I remember in my life was I was counting the minutes, the the days, the minutes. Like I wanted to see. I it was too. So bad. I. I got the soundtrack for my birthday that year. Mm-hmm. Vanilla Ice on there. And Which soundtrack did you listen to more, that or Ghostbusters? Um, uh, in terms of age, definitely um, Turtles Two. Really? I, I, I had Ghostbusters, but like I, it was a little bit before my time. I loved it, mm-hmm. but Turtles was like at school too. It was the cool thing to love Turtles. Like we all had, bi- we all had the Trapper Keepers. We all had T-shirts. How dare you disrespect Ray Parker Jr. And if I might pause you. Yeah. Uh, how much did you love the original Ninja Turtles? I, I love that movie. I adore that movie so much. So, do you remember that the uh, toy line didn't release any toys for that? Yeah, film it's too dark. They, yeah, they thought it was too dark, so they wanted to separate themselves from it. When they thought it was like they thought it was gonna be a flop because they're like, "You fucked up what we're going yeah. for." But the it's more like the original. Told, the producers told the director that at at the test screening, yep. they were like, "Well." You screwed this one up, but it's more like the original comic. It's more like the you know the yeah. the, the, the black and white. Yeah, it, it has the, the foot soldiers were actual human beings. Yeah, they it's, were it's gritty. It's gritty. It's like it's I don't know. It's like I think it's really important. And weren't there originally five turtles? Mm. There was another turtle. I I, thought. I think there were four, but they all had the same color. Like the whole thing was like it was all in their original thing. They didn't have. I just remember Splinter dying, and that shit fucked me up. Yeah, it's in I, the films or the comics or what are you talking about? In the movies, right? No, um, Am he I almost dies. He almost dies. No, that's he, what I'm, he, he yeah, you're right. Yeah, I love the first turtles and, and turtles two as a whole. And of course, like the fact they didn't have, they're like, we're not going to have you have a rock steady. We're going to have Razor and the other guy. I it's like, why don't just use what you have? Yeah, you know. Um, but they I made, do. Yeah, they made pseudo characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Murder orc and <laughs> pizza face. Yeah. 
So again, not not to get it twisted, uh, my favorite in the TMNT franchise is the original. But uh, as far as like Soul Brother number one to uh, our, our film here, The Last Dragon, I feel like Teenage Ninja Turtle really kind of fits the uh, the vibe and the feel more because it's a little more lighthearted. It's, the second one. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not nearly as dark as the first Ninja Turtles, and also you still have Eddie Reyes Jr. playing in. You got plenty of martial arts, you got plenty of jokes, and it's uh, bright colored. And we were kind of talking for a second there about how the opening of Last Dragon kind of felt Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and that you have a student who has a master, and then he's sent off on a mission, and so th- that could play into either Karate Kid or TMNT. So that, that's my take. Boom. Next question. Shazam. Martin, would you or could you remake this film today? I would not, but I think it should be remade. Um, really? I, it's funny. I think I've said no to every other film. I think I have said no. So I'm like very much about this is a perfect mix of director and writer and all that. I think there's just things in this film that I found really interesting that I want to see explored. Again, I want more of that straightforward like the Kung Fu movie, like the setup you get from the beginning of I'm going after the final power to get the glow. Right. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah. and just to see that, like I would love to see want to be the master. Yeah. I can just see that with, but tongue in cheek with a, with a bigger budget with, with like with a martial artist, like Michael Jai white, you know, playing like <laughs> Bruce Leroy. You uh, just gave this film a whole new edge. Yeah. MJ but Bell I want Michael J. White in everything. Scott Adkins has to show up. Yeah, no, exactly. I think it's like, Michael J. White versus Wesley Snipes. Oh, I would also wow. I would also watch that. Yeah. Um and no, I, I think that would that would be my pitch would just be just to stick with that. But I also understand like for you guys and I understand like the big pull of this movie is the kind of musical element yeah. to it. Um, but if I was going to do like a straightforward, like remake, like, it'd be like a kind of like a gritty badass thing with Michael J. White playing Bruce Leroy. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Knight. No. Should we? Could we? No. I mean, it's, it's left such a footprint on pop culture and black pop culture in, uh, specific that I just, I don't know. It's the same thing to when we talked about like the recasting of like Tommy Lee Jones, like flipping Tommy Lee Jones and Billy Devane is that like, if you do that, you fuck up the timeline. And to me, like remaking the last dragon is like, you fuck up the timeline. Like this exists in a very specific time and place for a reason. It's left a huge mark on the rest of pop culture for a reason. And like without it, and like even trying to recapture that that quote unquote lightning in a bottle, I don't know. It seems like a fool's errand. So I'm going with yeah. no. Understandable. I I have to agree with you, Jacob. I was actually going to say the exact same as as Martin. You had said about uh, Hard Target. It's it's very much a a film for its time. It's lightning in a bottle. Um, I just can't imagine seeing any other iteration of this is going to yeah. make me smile ear from ear the way that this film did. And have me entertained the whole way in such a, a both semi lighthearted and I don't know just 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 giddy feel the whole way through while still having some semblance of stakes. Yeah, uh, it's I, I feel like it's just balanced perfectly. It's executed perfectly, and and everyone that they casted is just born for these roles. Yeah, I, I don't think you can top it. That's great. Final question. Final question. Jacob. Yeah. 
is this a certified face melter? Man, I actually thought about this all week because I feel like it borders on one. Um, I don't know if it quite achieves it uh, because it's a little too long. Um, to Martin's point, some stretches as much as I even enjoy it, like you could trim some here and there and nothing quite hits with the intensity that qualifies as a face melter. So I'm going to go with no very unique, awesome to watch with your buddies as we kind of discovered over some beers. Um, would love to see it with a full theater of people. Oh, don't think it's melting any faces. You'll get uh raucous reviews in a, in, in, in a theater full of people, but I, I don't know that it's yeah taking their faces off, but yeah, I'd agree. I, <laughs> it's funny that, Hard targets become our, you know, the definition. It's the sole one. The sole one that we've all agreed on to being a face melter. And for me, like, there are moments. I the For me, the end of the fighting when he has the glow, I'm like, if the whole movie were that, face melter. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. For me, like you, like you were saying, Jacob, just some stretches where I was like, fuck, get back to some kind of story here. Yeah. And I was I was bored. I was happy to watch with you guys and like to enjoy it. Like it's funny. It never like loses its humor. But there's some long stretches of, of dialogue and just like people talking and like just kind of kind of stretching their runtime, padding their runtime. Yeah. That I think completely takes away from being a face melter. Agreed. It's not a face melter. Not for me. I, I enjoyed it from start to finish. I was smiling from ear to ear. I will definitely say that it's like a heart stretcher like it it it, it yeah made, it made that my is the, heart swell with blood because i just enjoyed every aspect of it well and that it, is it, the one thing that we didn't 100 percent hit on is that this movie has a huge heart like it, it's it's very sincere it's there's not like a mean bone in its body like not even its villains are just total goofballs and like it, it's all very fun and it's all in the it's almost like a coming of age movie in a weird way but yeah I, I can feel that for sure. Uh, but again, smiling from ear to ear, it, it just expands my heart every time that I see it. I, I can't do anything but just look at it with pure joy and feel just glee when it's done. And I definitely want like time between the times that I see. I want space between the times that I that I view it just to, to give it that time to like settle down again. But each time I watch it, it just it just brings back this this feeling of elation to me like there's there's not as you said there's not a bad bone in this film's body yeah it's just it's a wonderful watch i feel like it's even a perfect film for what it is damn that's a that you got wild at the end (laughs) bold yeah so we're going with it is i feel like it's a perfect film in its own right so five episodes in we're only at a 20 percent like face melter return let's yeah. say one well, that, out of that's, five that's full-on face melter return we've yeah. had disagreements i don't think the other ones count like yeah. i feel like it's got to be unanimous it's got to be three by three or like, nothing yeah like we're all like okay. like like i get what you're saying with yeah, like yeah, yeah. six string samurai to where it's like oh it, it changed my my brain at a certain period of time sure. and I, I feel I, like you I could, could make, even say that about this one that's what i mean that's where i was going okay. with is i feel like you could make this argument about this too but i feel like for the face melter stamp to be applied it's got to be unanimous we all got to be like yes like hard target it's got to be hard easiest. target or yeah. nothing yeah, yeah. 
Hard target or bust. And I yeah. think I think we have one coming up in a couple weeks that I think we'll probably agree on being face bouncer as well. There's there's a few yeah, that I think we're gonna be like, in the yep. lineup coming up that I think are obvious contenders for face melter. Actually, status. one of Cody's choices I think is like definitely I don't know what you just mouthed yeah, to what we're but gonna you'll get see to it. it. Yeah. <laughs> you look like a hamster. I'll talk about it when we stop recording. You look like a hamster just had a thumb up its butt, but uh yeah. That's enough dick teasing for now. That's episode five. We're going with no face melter for The Last Dragon. However, you should find it. The Blu-ray uh, is pretty cheap online. Seek it out. You totally can also get fun. it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, exactly. Amazon Prime, and you're good to go. That's the fifth episode of the Secret Handshake Podcast. Cody, Martin, as, a, as always, total pleasure. Indeed. Let's go get drunk. Yes. Until next time. Go ninja, go ninja, go, go ninja, go ninja, go, go ninja, go ninja, go, 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 go. Gonna rock the town without being seen Have you ever seen a turtle get down? Slamming and jamming to the new swing sound Yeah, everybody let's move